Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the ways that you, in your way, bring people together. And I thank you, God, for the way in which a few years ago you brought Dave uh, together with this camp and then how you've just made his visit here much more personal. So bless him as he has been a blessing to us. Uh, give him the uh, continued words that you've already spoken to him, but give him the words to speak to us that we might be blessed. Open our hearts, Lord. It's early. Open our minds. Keep us alert. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is this kind of one of those lazy camp days? Do you feel it in the air? Gets a little overcast, cool, nice, beautiful. And uh, last night was such a good sleeping night. Wasn't it a good sleeping night? Absolutely loved it. Hey, last night, Christy and I had one of our questions answered. We've uh, taken off and done these walks into town and walked down to some campgrounds and then out to uh, Frankenmuth, we walked to Frankenmuth, and then, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're walking back, and as we walk down here, we walk by all these railroad tracks, and we're going, man, they got a lot of tracks right here, there's like three of them, and then one merges, I'm trying to see if they're used, and the one of them, <laughs> the one of them is totally rusty, and, and I thought, well, that one's not used. And the first train I've heard was last night at 11.15, was it? Yeah, is it every night? Is it? Okay, I've been sleeping, okay. Uh, so I kind of wondered, you need, to move to, you need to move to Napanee. We have, is it 88 trains a day that go through town? And uh, they're all of the devil. And so uh, it's just rough. Yeah, you know what? I had a hunch. I had a hunch that would be an experience because we're walking. I saw where your campers are, and I saw the tracks, and I said, these people are either a glutton for torture or else they're real warriors. I'm not sure which it is, but that is, uh, that's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. So every area has, a, I'll tell you, for me, the interesting thing of it is when I moved to Napanee 38 years ago was not the train. This, I, you guys got to trust me on this one. You got to believe me. The first night we stayed in our house, we, at that point we lived on the highway and it was a church parsonage and we slept with the windows open and I couldn't figure out what the noise was and it was the hoofs of the Amish horses early in the morning on the pavement. Click, 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 you know, going down there. Choose your poison. <laughs> you know, I mean, trains or horses, whichever it is, you can have it, but we started to get used to it and get used to hearing those noises. So our world is... It's just kind of a whole uh, lot of a different culture. So it's been neat. It's been neat just to see the grounds and to see the town here, just to be able to walk. This is a nice town. And uh, just to see it and, and to experience it. So good stuff, good stuff. This is the part of a camp. Today's kind of, yesterday and today are kind of what we always call the hinge days, where we turn the corner on camps and, and we, we begin to sense, you know, you're kind of saying, well, we know who the guy is. He's weird. And, and I look at y'all and say, y'all are pretty cool. And, and, and we do that. And my prayer is that God will just bring us down now, today, tomorrow, and Friday, just with, just with a great, solid foundation as we move in toward the finish line of camp. Now, this morning, what I want to do, um, okay, I'll, I'll just do this in the interest of full disclosure. Um, I'm going to talk, we're going to work today on a skill set, and uh, 
I'm really passionate about this one because as I pastor and as I grew up in the church, my dad was a superintendent, this is the one where we just do horrible, just do horrible. So here's the, here's the rules today as we get into this, okay? Um, none of us are good at this. Let's just right now understand what we're going to work on. I don't want anybody to say, I'm the bad one. I can't do this well. Everybody else has got this down. No, we all need to learn about conflict. Are you ready? Say it together. We all need to learn about conflict. Nobody has this mastered. Say it together. Nobody has this mastered. We all can grow. We all can grow. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to walk you through this, and I guarantee you no one is going to hit this thing perfect in the center. No one's going to hit this perfect in the center. What we're going to work with, and you'll see this kind of develop as we go, is we're going to work with some compendiums, and we're going to try to figure out where we're at. Nobody gets to be dead center. Jesus is the only person who got this dead center. The rest of us are all learning, and we're either on this side or this side, and I'll show you a little bit later how it works. Now, if you got your Bibles, let's go to Nehemiah. Just turn in the book of Nehemiah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to use Nehemiah as our case study. He does an incredible job when it comes to conflict. He does an incredible job when it comes to conflict. So what we're going to work on today is raising the level of your leadership in how to do conflict. How to do conflict. Um, boy, this, this one is tricky. If you're married, you know what conflict's all about. If you've got kids, that's right. If you've got kids, you know what conflict's all about. If you work in a, in a business, you know what conflict's all about. In fact, on your sheet, the very first blank is this. Conflict is normal, neutral, and natural. I want you to hear this. Conflict is normal, neutral, and natural. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. Anytime you have two people, there will be the potential for some type of conflict. It is normal. It happens. It is neutral. It's either good or bad, and it is natural. It's natural by the very fact that movement by its very nature creates resistance. Anytime something moves forward, it is going to create resistance. I'm a I was a big, big NASCAR fan, just a big NASCAR fan. Do you guys all know you, you're not that big with NASCAR, are you? Uh, do you know what happens when you get 32 NASCAR fans together? Are you aware? You have a full set of teeth. And uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm one so I can say it, okay? Uh, NASCAR is a little bit, is a little bit interesting. And uh, I, 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 love, I love the big tracks like Talladega and Daytona because they're all based on aerodynamics, that, that they have to make these cars so they catch the right, because movement in those cars by its very nature creates resistance. You take some of the tracks and they have this thing called side drafting, that if you get close enough to someone, you can get a draft off of them. But if you get so, you can suck cars into you, you can push cars away. Um, uh, in the past, I used to do long distance bike riding, pedal bike riding, and uh, I'm just, I actually had a bad accident biking, had to have my shoulder rebuilt, and that's a whole other story. So my weight went up, my miles went down on what I did. It was just kind of a bad deal. But it was so much fun when I was good years ago where we would do the drafting in a Peloton. You get a whole bunch of bikes together, 
It's just so much fun. It's dangerous as all get out, but you get 20, 30 bikes together and you create this, this, this peloton, you create this movement where you all go much faster because you're operating together. But the second you fall off of that peloton, you, you can't catch it because it is so powerful together. You take 30% less energy when you ride in a pack. When you can draft, I've been trying to teach my grandsons how to draft. You got to get about six inches from my back wheel, about four inches over to the side, five inches over to the side. That way, if we wreck, we'll go into the ditch. That's kind of how we teach them how to draft. And uh, they, aren't, they aren't getting it real good. But the, <laughs> but the closer you are, you create this powerful effect. But there are also things where you can create negative effects with side drafting where all of a sudden someone is sucked in against you or someone is pushed out. Conflict by its very nature is going to happen as we have movement and motion. It's going to happen. It is normal, neutral, and natural. So there's some of you here that have the idea conflict is terrible. It's bad. No, 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 conflict is not bad. Conflict is not bad. It's what we do with conflict that makes it good or bad. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. Now, take a look in your Bibles in Nehemiah. Let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 3. We talked about this when we did the fast overview of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of those little books of the Bible that hides on me all the time. There we go. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah. Now, look at chapter 1. Chapter 1 is the burden chapter. Chapter 2... Is, is, is the, build, the team building chapter, getting everybody to gather to do this great feat, team building, God bringing the materials together. Chapter three is the let's get to work chapter. If you want to have fun in chapter three, um, I'm a big student when I study scripture on the law of multiple references. Whenever a word is referenced again and again and again and again, it's trying to tell you this is important stuff. You know the goofy thing in chapter 3? The two words that you're going to see used, what, 10, 12 times? You've got to count them in there late in the chapter are the words next to, next to, next to, next to. What it says is, is Lou is going to be working next to Dave. And Dave is going to be working next to Elvira. And Elvira is going to be working next to Kevin. And, and it's, it has this idea that as they work as a team, they work next to, that you aren't alone, that this thing is a team sport as we're going to do it. So chapter three is this incredible chapter of all these ordinary people doing extraordinary things, okay? Chapter four, look at chapter four. Chapter four is the first chapter on conflict. Two guys by the name of Sambalat and Tobiah are threatened. Um, who was I with the other day? We were talking about homeostasis. Uh, anybody here understand homeostasis? Homeostasis is people's desire for sameness. They want to have the same all the time. They resist change. In fact, that's why a lot of times if you come to camp and things start to change and they're singing a song that you're not used to, it messes up your homeostasis. Worship wars in churches. I've never ever experienced that, ha, ha, ha. But worship wars in churches is where people resist home. They want sameness. Sam Bell and Tobiah wanted sameness. And all of a sudden, these two guys are going to come in, and they're going to change Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And so they resist change by their very nature as an outside force. Chapter 5, look at chapter 5. Let your eyes look at chapter 5. 
Chapter 5 is where it gets really dicey. Because chapter 5 is where the conflict goes from external to internal. Chapter 5 is where it gets really painful. You always expect your enemies to resist you. You do not expect your friends to resist you. And chapter 5 of Nehemiah is really, really painful. It's really hard. Um, it says Nehemiah helps the poor. That is a, does that say that? Do you have a chapter? That is just bogus. That is a bad title for it. Nehemiah helps the poor. Um, he does, but the real issue is people are saying, we can't afford this. It's getting hard. We're mortgaging our sons and daughters. Um, this thing is killing us. We've got, we've got, we, we, we can't do this thing. And all of a sudden, the price that is extracted to accomplish the task creates this incredible tension. So now what we've got is, we've got conflict on our hands. And what are we going to do as we handle it? So let me just kind of walk you down through. Let me walk you down through the sheet we've got. I'm going to put you in teams in a little bit and see if we can stir up some conflict. Um, what my goal today is, is to try to help equip you with the skill so that you can navigate, navigate conflict. It's, it, it happens. It happens in our families. It happens in our churches. It happens in our world. And leaders, leaders distinguish themselves by their ability to navigate conflict well. Okay, here we go. Number one, conflict is the fertile soil through which healthy relationship goes. Conflict in itself is not bad. That's in that first line. In itself, conflict is not bad. It is not bad. It's what you do with it that'll determine it. Number two. Conflict is often the fertile soil through which healthy relationships grow. Conflict is often the fertile soil through which healthy relationships can grow. Conflicts have a way, just, just this morning as I was walking over, I just took a look at my phone, I saw a text come through from an organization, and uh, conflict is the fertile soil through which healthy relationships grow. That's the second line, okay? These lines are going to be a little tough for you today, but we'll get it. Um, so I, I look at my phone. I get a text. I get a text from an organization with regards to a four-way partnership that is developing. Conflict has emerged between the partners. Here's our Zoom invitation for the video conference on Monday, Tuesday, August 15th at 8 a.m. The following people will be on the call. You are now invited to join this alignment discussion. <laughs> now, can I tell you what's going to happen in that call? It's going to be great, seriously. Because what happens is we have four partners that are trying to work together to accomplish something in a specific country, and everybody's got a different agenda. And so what we're going to do in that call is we're going to try to get a measure of clarity clarity. That's not on your sheet, but we're going to try to get a measure of clarity on that call. Because what happens is anytime you have one or more, you have more than one person, you have people who have different ideas of reality. How do we come together? How do we get this clarity? How do we get, if you're in the business world, how do you get corporate alignment? Corporate alignment. We use terms like, uh, how do we build all these entities into one? I, I mentioned to Christy, uh, 
and I'm not, I'm not just pumping sunshine. I've been very impressed here at Bayshore with the kids track, the teen track, all these things that are happening. It, it's very active. And I thought somebody had to work really hard to get corporate alignment. How's this thing work? Kevin shared with me, he said, when you come and speak, our students will not be in your service Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights. And I thought, that's great. I, I love it. It's gonna, they're going to let them laser in on their stuff. But there may be somebody who says, no, man, I want those kids here. I want them in the big house. I want them to hear this. I want them to experience this. I don't want them going off. No, my thought was, you come together as a body, and you figure out, how are we going to do? What we do, we do together. What we do, we've got to do together. And so at Bayshore, it, there's probably all kinds of trouble I don't know anything about. I don't care to know anything about it. But I will tell you this, to me it looks like you've been able to get some corporate alignment how things are going to work and how it's going to fit together. I mean, it'd be something to have to lead the music at a camp like this. You talk about music, oh my goodness, everyone's got a taste. There are three things we'll never be able to get right in a church. We'll never be able to get the temperature in the room right. There are people that are freezing. There are people that are just burning up. And there are you'll never get it right. You'll never get it right. If we have equal amount too hot and too cold, we got it perfect. We'll never be able to get the volume level in the room right. Never get the volume level in the room right. My goodness, we can't do it. And number three is we'll never be able to get the perfect worship style of music right. Some people want high, some people want low, some people want country, some people say, if you play country, I'm out of here. You won't do it. So what we do is we learn to say, what we do, we've got to do together. How do we do this together? And how do we do this in a way so it's done right? Number three, on your sheet, the third one, every person has a pattern or system of doing conflict. Every person in your DNA has a pattern or system of how you do conflict. Now this is where, this is where I, wish I, could, I wish I could just sit down and we could be at the restaurant and we could be across the table from each other and I would say, tell me what it was like in your family growing up. Did your mom and dad fight? Did they, did they get hard words with each other? Mom always won. Okay, mom always won. Now, that, that, you showed me something there. And I ain't going there. Uh, but, but that was a pattern of how you did conflict. It was the way you did conflict. I have a couple in our church that says, a husband and wife been married 55 years. They said, we've never had a disagreement. I say, you're lying out your teeth. But you know what? They, they never had an above-surface disagreement. They pushed everything down. They pushed it under. Everyone has a pattern of how you do conflict. I want to show you something. This is from Ken Sandy. If you ever want to read the best book ever written on conflict resolution, it's called Peacemakers. And it's written by Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E. It is great. He is a legend in this. And Sandy says when it comes to conflict, there are two extremes that you get to. Lou, I'm interested in seeing how you kind of fall on this test, how you and your wife would do this. He says there are two extremes in conflict. There are two extremes. He said, over here, we have what are called the peace breakers. The peace breakers. These are people who, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to conflict, they, they're going to have conflict. 
And I am going to win. Uh, Alan and I are just having more fun with this name thing than what's legal. If you don't walk down that way, you don't know what she did to me. She went and had a sign printed up, put it on a big stake in front of where we're saying, took my picture, and it says, Dan lives here. And it's, it's down there. Seriously. The other night, Christy looks out, the, looks out the, the front, and she says, Dave, somebody's pounding a stake in front of our place here. I think, well, they're getting ready for some activity. Go out and look, and it's my picture. Dan lives here. She is a peace breaker. The war is on. So I said to her last night, I said, Elvira, do you want to go to war? Are we going to do this thing? I'll take you on. I'll match you. Because I are a peace breaker. And so we're looking at a full-fledged civil war. I mean, this thing is going to get really ugly. And Kendall, he doesn't know what's going on. You know I mean, it's going to get terrible. <laughs> so, so, so we laugh about this, but in reality, in the bad side, there are some people who they, 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 they just want to fight. They'd rather... Boy, this is going to date me. They'd rather fight than switch. Anybody remember that one? Yeah, okay. You should not. Okay, here we go. Okay, now on the other side of the equation, on the other side of the equation, there are people by their very nature who are peace fakers. Are peace fakers. They fake it. They act like there's peace on the outside, but on the inside, there's no peace. They just fake it. And so what they do is, when it comes to conflict, they act like everything's okay, but I'm ticked at you. I never have liked you. But, I, oh, how you doing, honey? God bless you. Can't stand you, you know. They, they, they have this thing where they fake it on the outside as though everything's okay, and they present a false image. And boy, let me tell you what. The Church of Jesus Christ is loaded with peace fakers. People who say, man, this, everything's great, and they do this thing. Sandy talks about this thing. Now, I, by the time I'm done, I will have appropriately offended everybody, okay? So just wait. Your offense is coming shortly. Um, it's really interesting. Um, God has given me the opportunity to work with a lot of denominations, a ton of denominations. And uh, denominations, by their very nature, take on a, a, a DNA as to how they do conflict. Um, um, I'm going there. I'm going there. Okay, let me go there, and uh, the car's packed. So, okay, here we go. Um, a lot of times, in, in different groups, in different ways. For example, some of you come out of a Baptist background. Uh, I started working a doctoral program in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist uh, seminary, um, 1611 King James only. And, oh, my. The first day I showed up, I didn't know what I was into. I mean, these guys, these guys were so narrow, they weren't sure about the guy sitting beside them. And I walked in, and I had my NIV, and they were about ready to string me up. Uh, because I, I, they, they, those guys had never met a fight they didn't want to have. You know, that's it. We're going to fight somebody. They will invent a fight if they've got to do it. Now, not all Baptists are that way, but that group was. And, and, and they had this ability to be peace breakers. You heard about the guy that was uh, stranded on a desert island, a Baptist guy stranded on a desert island, and he started a church all by himself. And pretty soon before you know it, 
he had another church because he couldn't get along with himself. So he had two <laughs> churches on the island as he did it. Now, on this side of the equation, this is the side I come from. My DNA and my family and my heritage is on this side. My mom and dad both came out of the Mennonite church. They grew up Mennonites in South Dakota. Great people. Love, 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 love. But conflict was always pushed underground. Everybody always acted as though everything were okay and then had this deep animosity there. Peace faker is this ability to act like things are okay and never get down to the real issues and never serve love. These guys have never met a fight they didn't want to have. These guys refuse to take a stand when they need to take a stand. They lack the gut, they, they lack the intestinal courage and the guts to say right's right and wrong's wrong. And we're going to have to stand up for something. We're going to have to do it. This is my side of the equation over here. In our DNA, we were very good at faking. Jesus said, blessed are the peace. Aha. This is where, when we come into this thing, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looks and says, I've got to help people who are here learn how to do conflict right. And I've got to help people over here learn how to do it, period. Just, just, just do it. Just learn how to have hard conversations. Who's the guy that wrote the book, uh, Crucial Conversations? I um, can't think of his name off the top of my head. It's a great book. Learning what it is to have hard, difficult conversations where we take the issues, we put them on the table, no animosity, and we work through our differences. You see, this is where in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the church blows up. Paul said, I'd like to talk to you as mature people, but you're just big fat babies sucking a bottle. Well, not quite, but, but, but he did say, I have to speak to you as babies, not as adults. You need milk, not solid food. Grow up, grow up, because they were on this side of the equation. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. This is what starts to happen in Nehemiah 5. When all of a sudden the, 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 the work is going forward and all of a sudden then we start having problems as we're going to do it. Um, want you to get your teams. Get your teams together right now. Get two, three, four people. Find who's going to be your buddy for just a little exercise right now. Okay? Find who's going to be your buddy. Okay. Ready to go? You can okay, now listen to me. Sneak up on you. Are you going to want the microphone passed around, or are you going to do it just repeat? If you I'll, re I'll just have them. You know what? I, maybe I should. Maybe I should do a microphone. Good. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, here's what I want you to do right now. You got your, you got your group? Here's what I want you to do. If you're with your spouse, love them and respect them, okay? Don't say, no, that's not right. You know, I mean, I mean do it, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to simply say, as I have grown up, my family DNA background, when it comes to this issue, leans this way, left, or leans this way, right. The way I grew up, I have a propensity by my DNA, it leans this way, and then you can kind of do a little self-disclosure, say, but I, I'm a mess on the other side, or whatever you want to do. Okay, I want you to do. I want you to. I want you to jump in and say, "This is the way we tend to lean. This is my background." Are you ready to go? I'm going to turn you loose. 
Go for it. This is true confession time. Come on. You fakers are getting worried because it's a hard exercise. I got to get you back. I got to get you back. Can I? Can Quiet, I? Quiet, please. Can I, okay, come on, Kendall. Let's go. Okay, now I got to get you back. Now here's what I want. Here's what I want. This this is one of those exercises that sometimes fakers don't feel as comfortable uh, with. Uh, breakers, hey, I'm a breaker, you know. <laughs> and they kind of sing a song with it. Um, it is interesting to see that sometimes we react against the one. If we grew up this way, I saw it back over here. If we grow up on one side of the equation, we've had a pretty tumultuous time where we grew up in a breaking home, we simply say, I don't want that. And I'm going to swing the other way. We'll overcorrect. Uh, hey, grab somebody, Kevin. Grab somebody. I want to hear, just, just find somebody you want to pick on. Kevin, what, how did you grow up? Which side? Right. Or well, have you? Uh, I, I, I am on my way to perfection. Yes, yes. But uh, no, well, I grew up in a home where my parents were divorced. Okay. So it was all out. It was all, all out, out there. there. There was a lot. There was no faking going on. Okay. What did that do to you? It, well, it, it didn't cause me to be a peace faker, but I, without even knowing it, probably went the Jesus way without Jesus, always trying to keep peace. Huh. Interesting. Find somebody. I, I, you go find somebody and ask them, ask them, find someone you feel safe with, because I don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt. Somebody raise their hand in this section. See, I'm going <laughs> Oh, there we go, right there. Now, I, this is, is going to be a classic one right here. Watch, watch this couple right now. Uh, my wife will tell you, anybody will tell you, I'm definitely a peace breaker. I cannot fake anything, and that gets me in trouble all, a lot. So, because a lot of people don't like brutal honesty, and I, I'm just that. I'm brutally honest. I'm going to tell you like it is, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and like I said, that can get you in trouble, though, with people. So, because, and, it, and that can also cause unneeded conflict because... You're being brutally honest with that person, and depending on how they take it, could cause a conflict that may not have should should not have been there at all. So okay, now go to your wife. Watch this. So what are you? I'm half Mennonite. Half Mennonite. <laughs> when I asked her, I said, "What are you?" I'm half Mennonite, and I said, "Okay, next person, let's go." Now, and I listen, I'm not bashing my background. I'm not bashing my heritage at all. There just was this desire, so desirous to have peace that it would do things that were unhealthy to get peace. So talk to me about that peace faking. Well, that's exactly like you said. I, I really can't expound on it any any stronger than what you have already said. It's it's just I mean, did my parents have conflict? Yes, they had conflict. Um, even though my dad was the Mennonite in the family and there was some suppression of, of feelings, but it was more with my mother than my dad. When my dad had conflict with my mother, he brought it out. So he was actually, even though uh -huh. I was in a Mennonite situation sure. and I was with my father's family, he was actually a peace breaker sure. where my mom was a peace faker. We're, we're going to get to this in just a second, but, but I want to tell you, um, 
let me just, lest I forget to develop this. The greatest sin in the church today, I believe, is not the sin of immorality, it's the violation of Matthew 18, 15. I, I totally believe this. If you come around our place very long, you're going to hear me talk about this. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later. Matthew 18, 15 says, if you have ought against your brother, you go to your brother just between the two of you. And that's the one we just mess it up. Because fakers can't do that. Fakers want to go to three other people and say, hey, do you see what he did? And they, they, they have what we call this a courage deficit disorder. Courage deficit disorder. Uh, CDD is a real situation that happens where we lack the courage to have the hard conversations that we have to have. And, and so we've, 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 we've got to do it in that way. Uh, Kevin, the next blank on their sheet, I think you're there, is understand, and we'll do, it ties in this last one, knowing and understanding our family of origin helps us get in touch with our conflict DNA, our family of origin. Um, some people are stuffers, some people are blurters. Some people are stuffers. That tends to be this side of the equation. The stuffers are here. They just stuff it inside. Some people are blurters. My dear brother over there who says, I got to speak the truth. Sometimes we blurt the truth and we get ourselves in trouble. By the way, have you ever heard this passage of scripture that says that we ought to speak the truth? Oh, you got that love part down. Here's what happens. Brother, you and I have an ability to speak the truth. We don't like people who don't speak the truth. We don't like people who just aren't up front. Be honest about it. Be direct. Some people speak in love, but they don't speak the truth. Some people speak in truth, but they don't have the love. Isn't that amazing on Scripture where it says you have to take the two together? Speak the truth in love. I learned early on in my college days, I took a gigantic swing and a miss on an issue. I was dead right on taking a stand on an issue on campus. I was dead wrong in how I took the stand. And I had an old guy come up to me and said, Dave, you can be right in what you believe and wrong in how you express it. And that's exactly what you just did. I thought, oh, nuts, nuts. And I began to learn that you speak the truth in love, not the truth without love, not love without the truth. Okay? Let's, let's go on. Let's go on. Kevin, we'll get you in a second there on some more. Here we go. Here we go. Next one. In, um, engaging fear is fundamental in all conflict. Engaging fear is fundamental in all conflict. You've got to engage fear. Now, if you are a breaker, you, got, you need to engage wisdom. <laughs> that, that's the thing you need. If you're naturally by that, you got to say, you know, it's best for me to just take a pause right now. Um, it's best for me to count to five or do something because I'm going to say something I might regret. And so you have to use wisdom. There's not a day go by that I don't pray for two things. In fact, someone came to me last night. One of you came to me and said, Dave, you asked how you could pray for us. How can I pray for you? I said, let me tell you, two things every day I pray for, wisdom and courage. Wisdom and courage. If I have wisdom and I don't have courage, I'll know what to do, but I won't have the guts to do it. If I have courage and I don't have wisdom, I'll be doing all kinds of stuff, but it'll be stupid stuff. And I'll violate the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not be stupid. And that's what I believe it is. So I have to have that. But you have got to engage your fear if those of you who are on this side of the equation, this side of the equation, you have got to engage your fear. 
Those of you on this side of the equation, you need to engage your wisdom. Is this the wise thing to do? Is this the loving thing to do? And how can I do it? Most of us, and, and to be really honest with you, I always kind of tilted a little bit more to this side of the equation as life went on a little later. I started to tilt to this. I don't want to do this. It's hard. It's going to be a misunderstanding. And so I've had to learn. Um, between full and part-time employees in my world, I oversee 85 people. And uh, that's a lot of, of potential conflicts. And obviously, I have to have hard conversations. And a lot of times, I'll have to sit with myself and simply have a hard conversation. And I'm not good at this. This does not come naturally to me at all. In fact, I've got to get myself all prepped and prepared when I have to have a hard conversation. And I've got to engage my fear because here's my fear. Number one, I'm going to make things worse. Number two, I'm going to offend them. When I offend them, I'm going to offend their whole family circle. Then they're going to hate me. I never wake up in the morning and say, man, I hope people don't like me. This would be a great, if I could get more people not to like me. You know, I, I don't do that. I've got a sanguine personality. I've got an interactive eye on a, on a, on a disc profile. And, and I don't ever wake up saying, man, I hope people dislike me. And so fear comes in. We talk about this a lot, a, a courage deficit disorder. Now, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to work you through something real quick. Um, here's what I want to do in these last 25 minutes. Let's go to that steps in doing conflict right. What I want to do right now is I want to work with you as best I can in a very flawed, incomplete way on how to do conflict right. Now, this is where you get to chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Nehemiah. I'm not going to exegete the passage. I'm just going to take you through this sheet. But Nehemiah is a master at doing conflict. He is a master at doing it. How did the wall get done? How did he keep people from walking off the job? He sat down and said, let, 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 let's work through this thing. Let's find a way to work through it. So here we go. Let me give them to you. Number one. Number one, start soon, don't delay. Start soon, don't delay. So many of us will postpone conflict. We'll postpone it. And we lack the courage to start in it. Now, I'm going to show you how I've had to teach myself how to do conflict. In fact, it's kind of become a joke on our team. Because they know when Dave sits down and he says these words, we're about ready to have a conflict discussion. Something's wrong. So, here's how it works. I, you, you can use anything you want. I'm just sharing with how I've had to learn myself as I work with organizations and people. My conflict starts the same thing every time. And I script myself because if I don't, my emotions get ahead of me because I'm stinking ticked off at you. Put your shoes on. I'm stinking ticked <laughs> off at you. You know, I'll just, I'll just burn it out. No, no, I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So what I've done is to keep myself from being stupid and just, when you're a communicator, sometimes you can just run out of the mouth and it'll kill you every time. So I've had to learn this. What's your first name? Skip. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, you know, I don't like you. <laughs> okay, what is your first name? It's okay. What's your first name? Delmer. Delmer. I like that. Do they ever call you Del? Most of the time. Some do? We're close enough. I'm going to call I, I question who they are. 
<laughs> when they do that. Okay, so I'm getting ready to have a conflict with Delmer. Delmer works for us. I've noticed he's not been coming in on time. I noticed he's been slagging on his work. He's just screwing around on Facebook all day when he comes in. He's not really working. He's not putting out. I, I kind of pick up his, his performance is below the bar. So we're going to have a visit. Are we ready? Here we go. And here's how it'll start every single time. Delmer, I'm really struggling. Will you help me? That's always my start. Always my start. Nothing magic about it. It protects me from going off on the guy and saying, you're a jerk. Now, come on, get to work. You're stealing from God, you know. Instead of me going off, I always do that. Because here's what I want Delmer to know. I am struggling. The issue is mine, and I'm going to ask you to help me with my struggle. I'm going to ask you to help me. Delmer, I'm struggling. Will you help me? And then sometimes I'll say, you know, I don't know if I have the whole picture. I don't know if I'm seeing life correctly. But Delmer, here's, here's kind of what I sense. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'll always open myself up that I may not have all the facts, okay? I may not know what's going on. So if you're going to do conflict, always go in assuming you don't have all the information. Hey, Nehemiah, these people are coming saying, we can't feed our kids. You've taken so much money, they're charging us high interest to get money to build this stinking wall, we can't even feed our family. And Nehemiah has to ferret out what it is. It's going to be there. So in conflict, to get my courage up, because I can be kind of a conflict weenie, you know, and not want to address this thing and, and weaken it, I always have to learn to do that. Now, granted, at that point, I now have put the issue on the table. I now have let him know that this thing is going to get tough. It's going to be hard. Start soon. Don't delay. I'm struggling. Will you help me? Now, I want you to do something right now. I want you to turn to the person beside you or behind you or in front of you, and I just want you to rehearse what I said, and I want it to come off your lips. I'm struggling. Will you help me? Would you do it? Come on, right now. Just, just do it to each other. Do it to each other. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Thanks for letting me have fun with you. That's thanks, fine. That's thanks, fine. thanks. I love it. Okay. I, I have found, I have found for myself that if I'm going to learn to lead well in conflict, I have to rehearse. I do have to rehearse. In fact, sometimes I'll have to go in with a little note card that said, here are the primary issues. Because my, I'm, I'm, you know this, I'm ADHD. Um, didn't surprise you. Um, and so because of that, I have to stay focused. I have to stay focused. I have to force myself to stay focused. So you start soon, you don't delay. I just throw this next one in parenthetically. And I'm going to do this as an absolute, which is not probably wise to do, but I'll do it anyway. Number two, never, never do confrontation via email. Never do it via email. Never. Don't do it through a text. I recognize there are situations where great distances separate us. I can't be with someone. 
Frankly, uh, I use Zoom a lot. I'll use FaceTime. I'll use Skype. There is something about doing confrontation face-to-face. If you have ought against your brother, go to your brother just between the two of you. Always start there. Always start there. I have a guy on staff. I wish you could meet him. Don has worked with me 34 years. Our team has been together a long time. We're all, we're all dinosaurs. And, and uh, I've got a guy who's, who's right now currently a youth pastor. Uh, he's 20 years uh, with us. The guy that he reports to is 26 years. And, and the guy that is senior associate is now 31 years. We're, we're like brothers. We've all been together a long time. We can, we can beat each other up. We've had a lot of conflicts. But we've tried to learn how to do this. One day, Don, you would love Don if you met him. He just is so stinking lovable. He, uh, we're opposites. I, I told the people in church, Don just loves birds. He just loves birds. I love to shoot birds. I mean, it's just, <laughs> we're just opposites. We're just opposites. One day, Don walked into my office, and he said, Dave, can I ask a favor of you? If you ever want to say anything tough to me, don't ever send me an email that might have emotion attached to it. I said, really? My first response was, you're a wimp. And then I got to thinking about it, and he said, here's what he said. He said, I need to see your face, and I need to hear your voice. He said, if I see your face, everything's going to be okay. If I hear the tone of your voice, he said, if I read an email from you, it sounds like, boy, Dave's ticked off at me. I didn't get this right. He said, if I see your face and you say, hey, Don, can you take care of this? In an email, it sounds like you're about ready to smack me upside the head. And when I see you and hear you, it comes across in a much gentler way. Um, Have you ever met people who, when they put their hands on a keyboard, become paper tigers? They start going, I never have liked you and what you're doing is wrong. And they just all caps and do that. Uh, We actually have a guy on our team who is a masterful writer. And he would send off these diatribes. And they were just, and I, I went to him and I said, cut it out. You can't do this to us. He said, well, I think best when I write out. I said, here's what I want you to do. Type it out, print it out, walk into my office, sit down across the desk and read it to me. Just read it to me. It's amazing what happened. He quit sending those things. He quit reading those things to me. And yet he'd come in and he'd simply say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I think there's an injustice. Here's where we've got to lead better. Here's what we have to do. Now, some of us resort to a coward's method of confrontation. Peace fakers want to take the coward, the, the, the cowardly method. And they don't want to do the hard work. I believe 80% of our church conflicts, that's my world, could be taken care of if people would have the courtesy, kindness to sit down one-on-one with each other and have hard conversations. And I always admire someone. I don't wake up in the morning and hope it happens, but I always admire someone who will call me and say, Pastor, can I have a few minutes with you? And they'll come down one-on-one. They've not gone to anybody else, and they'll say, I'm struggling with this thing. I struggle that happened. Can you help me? And sometimes I got to say, you know what? Swing and a miss on my part. I missed it. I led poorly. Will you forgive me? But you have to do it. Now, now here's what I'm going to do. What I would like to do is deputize every one of you. 
Lou, I wish I could just put my hand and deputize you. Deputy Lou. You know, here you go. You got it, buddy. I'll give you one bullet, Barney. And, uh, and I deputize you because here's what I think has to happen. The reason our churches are a mess today, by and large they're a mess, is because Lou needs to be deputized that when, so, when, when Bob comes to him and says, well, I never believe what happened in that board meeting. And Lou entertains that. He feeds the dysfunction. Lou needs to look at him and say, hey, did you talk to Pastor? Did you go to Bob? Did you go to this person? Until you go to, come back and tell me what it was like after you went to him. And cut it off in the past. Cut it off. Ladies, someone comes to you and they're upset about X, Y, Z. Your first thing you ought to say as a mature believer is, hey, have you had a conversation with them yet? In fact, it's really interesting. Even amongst our team, I'll go to maybe one of the associates and say, man, I'm just noticing so-and-so. And they'll just look at me and say, Dave, have you talked to them about that yet? Ah, oh, courage deficit disorder. I hadn't done it. I copped out. I went underground and I didn't go direct. You see, if we truly love each other the way we say we do in our movement, and we have this perfect love that flows through us when the Spirit of God does a deep work, wouldn't we have the guts and the courage and the, and the love to sit down and say hard things to people directly, one-on-one, -on -one, and have those conversations? But if you're on this side of the equation, fake it and run to 20 people. If you're on this side of the equation, say things you're going to later regret and do great damage and learn to have those tough conversations. Number three, uh, on there, seek. It's under seek on the third one on first steps. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. That's an old Stephen Coveyism. Uh, I, I, I do, I'll tell you this, I'm a huge fan of seven, high, seven habits of highly effective people. Some people don't like it. Some people hang up on it. I think there are great principles. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So I sit down with someone and say, man, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Dexter, you have just pushed it far too much. You, you know, and, and, I, and I jump to this conclusion. He looks at me and says, Dave, can I tell you, the reason I'm on my phone is, is my mom had a heart attack. And she's in the hospital. And my sister's trying to figure this out. And I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do in the family. Who's going to take care of this? Who's going to take care of that? And all of a sudden, I'm saying, ah, oh, I understand. I understand. You see, we fill in, here's, here's a good one. Oh, this was, this was a big life learning lesson for me. I brought all the worship leaders in, and uh, we were sitting around a table, and we were trying to work through stuff. Um, we went through this retrofit of our worship center, and in the process of going through it, some of our people were struggling with change. You know, why are we spending all this money? Why does this need to be done? If it was good enough for me, you know, it needed to happen. But, but I, it's my responsibility leader to bring them through it together. And so I went to the worship leader and said, we're going to have to help our people. This is no time for us to be getting out on a silly edge. It's no time for us to try to push the musical worship edge. Let's just all relax. Let's help the body go through this transition. Let, let's do it. What we do, we do together. I'm going to need it. One of the gals absolute sweetheart, spoke up and said, Dave, can I tell you my problem? She said, I have a problem that when I have incomplete information, I always fill in the blanks, and I fill the blanks in wrongly. 
And she said, when the edict came down that we've got to kind of tone things back a little bit, I took a personal that you were upset with me and I filled the blanks in wrongly on that. That impacted me. Because I got to thinking, how many times do I fill the blanks in wrongly? How many times do I make an assumption on somebody because I have incomplete, inaccurate information? I filled the blanks in wrongly on my buddy here because I thought he was screwing around on Facebook, and he wasn't. He was trying to solve a difficult family problem. He was trying to juggle all these pressures on him. And I, got, I have to get accurate information so I can do that. Seek to understand others before you seek to be understood by others. Nehemiah is a master at this. Uh, here, here's the next one. I think it's the next one here. Yeah. Understand, here's the next one. Understand the presenting issue in doing conflict is rarely the core issue. Understand the presenting issue in doing conflict is rarely the core issue. Work towards identifying and dealing with the core issue. Core. The core issue. The, the, the core of the apple. The, the central issue. Understand the presenting issue. The thing that comes forward as the conflict oftentimes isn't the conflict. It is simply a presenter of a deeper issue that comes in. Now this is really critical. A lot of times in the church world I work, the core issue is, uh, I don't like the purple carpet or whatever. I don't have purple carpet, but I don't like purple carpet. That's just a presenting issue. The core issue is, I was left out of the decision-making process on how that should be chosen. And the real issue is, I don't like the fact that you cut me out of the decision. In fact, in marriage, it's really interesting in marriage, uh, most marital issues that couples work with are only presenting issues. There's a deeper issue that's down deep, that's much deeper. And so anybody who does counseling understands that you have to drive down to the deeper issue. What's the real issue at play here? Why were you so late getting home? What's the real issue at play? The real issue at play is, is you devalued me. I felt devalued by what you did. It wasn't the issue of being late. It was the issue of devaluing. And what happens is, as we learn to do conflict, we always have to push deeper to find out what those real issues are. Uh, I already mentioned this one, the next one, discover the facts. Discover the facts. This is the fill in the blank thing. Understand that you don't have all the facts. Understand that you don't have all the facts. Um, what did I do with that eraser? Oh, here it is, right in front of me. Um, let me show you something here. Avoid triangulation. Avoid triangulation. This is a, this is a major, major deal. Um, discover the facts. Begin with the assumption that you don't have, you don't have all the facts. Avoid triangulation. It's not, uh, uh, that's, not the, that's not the A there. This isn't on your sheet. Avoid triangulation. Here's what happens. When there's a conflict between these two people, there is always a temptation instead of these two people working with each other to bring in person number three and then all of a sudden we've triangulated we've triangulated now sometimes peacemakers in their desire to make peace escalate a problem they escalate a problem because they feel like they've got to be the moderator they feel like they've got to heal and so 
let's imagine you two aren't getting along. And so you come to me and say, she's just bugging me. She's just bugging me. She sits too close to me when we sit in services. And I got to tell her to move over a little bit. So she comes to me. So I pick up your offense. And I go and say, could you slide over just a little bit? She's a little upset. She said, well, I'm not doing it. And all of a sudden what happens is, is I have violated the biblical principle, and this is just silly illustration, of you going directly to her. And now all of a sudden we've created a triangle. And any time you try, I'm a Paul, I'm a Apollos, I'm a Cephas, they were triangulating. They were creating it. This is why we've got, we, we just have to learn this. We've got to learn this. If I could sit down, how, how many of you serve like on a church board or a church leadership team? Do you know what I tell our people, our boards? What would happen if we'd have the meeting after the meeting, during the meeting? Yeah, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The meeting after the meeting, let's have it during the meeting. Because what happens after the meeting is these two get together and say, well, I, I, that wasn't right. This wasn't done right. In fact, there's a new exercise that I've taken with groups I work with where we close our meeting. We say, let's take 10 or 15 minutes and have that meeting right now. How'd we do? How'd we do? Everybody okay? Is anybody going to walk out of here and go to somebody else and say, hey, I didn't like this? Let's just do that right now. Let's evaluate how we did. Anybody, anybody sin? Anybody lose their temper? Anybody not say something that should have been said? Are we all clear with each other? If we're in an accident tonight on our way home, do we have any regrets of anything we said or did or didn't say and should have? You see, what happens is we create this silly triangulation thing, and when the meeting after the meeting doesn't happen during the meeting, you'll always schism and you'll always divide. So it's kind of fun. Actually, one time I, I did, I actually did, I, we adjourned the meeting, said it's over, and I said, okay, let's start the next meeting. Let's start the one that happens in the parking lot by your cars, where these two people get together. You're enjoying this far too much, aren't you? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Have the meeting after the meeting, during the meeting, and watch what takes place. Okay, uh, let me get you down to the end here. Avoid triangulation. That is the first A. I'm sorry. Avoid triangulation. It escalates conflict rather than solving it. So you crossed it out, but now just put it back in, okay? Here we go. Affirm the relationship. Always affirm the relationship. Always affirm the relationship. When you do conflict, you have to let the other person know you have worth, you have value. I can't personally attack you. I've got to affirm the relationship. One time I was working with a group, I was chairing a group, it was a number of years ago, and I had one of the members make just a terrible accusation against me. It, it was like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. They'd accused me of manipulating a phone call to another person to arrange this and this and this, and frankly, I wish I would've been genius enough to see how that worked because it was unbelievable. And, uh, the accusation was really bad. I mean, it's like, boy, if this is true, I have no integrity. I need to immediately resign. Uh, I am a fraud. And in the process of this, I started to get angry toward the person. I started to find myself getting, you know, how could you say this about me? You are assaulting my basic character in doing that. I didn't do it. In fact, 
I'm not smart enough to think about it. And the thought went through my mind. This is obviously something he would have done because he figured out how he would have done it and he thought it was manipulated. And I'm starting to get upset in that. And I had to stop myself and I had to stop myself and affirm him and say, you know what? You think what you think, but you have worth, you have value, you've contributed. I'm struggling. Will you help me? But you always affirm the person. You always affirm the person. Yes, sometimes in conflicts, we have to separate the person from the issue. We have to separate the person from the issue. And sometimes when a person is says bad things or does bad things, we want to attack the intrinsic value of the person rather than the badness of what they did or said. And there are some people, God places them in every church, places them in every group, that are gifted by the Holy Spirit to create turbulence. You've got them, I've got them. I'll send you a couple of them if you want them. I'll send you two of them who tithe, and I'll take five of yours who don't that I can convince to tithe, okay? We can do trades with this. But uh, God says, I want you to affirm the person, affirm the relationship. And the last one, do everything that promotes resolution. Promotes resolution. Promote resolution. Um... Hebrews 12, in our Wesleyan heritage, Hebrews 12, 14 is such a rock-solid verse. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And we believe that God can do a deep work in purifying our hearts. We always skip the next verse, Hebrews 12, 15. Beware lest any root of bitterness spring up, and thereby many be defiled. Where does bitterness come from? Bitterness comes from unresolved conflict where we have stuffed it and we've not had hard conversations that we need to have. Now, I want to close and get you over to your cookie real fast or there will be a conflict, okay? Um, I want to get you to your cookies. But before we do that, could you just bow your heads together with me? Could you just bow your heads? Just before we break, I wonder if the Holy Spirit might not ask you, is there someone with whom I need to have a hard conversation? Is there someone that maybe I've triangulated on? Am I truly a peacemaker? Is there anyone to whom I need to apologize? Are my relationships what they ought to be? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to break. Father, my, my desire today was not to guilt anyone. My desire today was to create health. To create health in individuals, in families, in churches, by learning how to do conflict God's way, not our way. Father, for those of us who have a pattern of being peace breakers, may we die to self-centeredness. May we learn restraint. May we learn how to speak the truth in love. Father, for those who tend to be peace fakers, may we learn to speak the truth. The truth. Directly, courageously, and wisely.
in love. Father, give us courage. Give us courage to never compromise. Give us courage to be willing to hold to our convictions. Give us wisdom to know how to do that. Thank you for a group that we can explore with together, we can laugh together, we can learn together. Father, would you raise the level of my leadership? Would you raise it as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, as an organizational leader? Father, for me, my prayer is, is that you'd continue to flood me with appropriate courage to say what needs to be said in a Christ-like way so that we can be healthy as we do conflict by the book. Thank you for Nehemiah, who modeled it so well that the wall was built, the task was completed. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And everybody together said? Amen. 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 Just a quick word before we go. Tomorrow, let me tell you what we're going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to go to that place where in the building Nehemiah says, I want you to fight for your families. And he places them by family. So no matter where you're at in this thing, whether you're a great-grandparent, a grandparent, a parent, a kid, whatever you're at, we're going to learn some principles of leadership at home that Nehemiah, it's just incredible. I, I, that phrase where he says, fight for your families. Fight for your families. How do you fight for your families and not with your families? So we're going to take a look at that tomorrow. God bless you. Go get a cookie, and Dr. Neff is going to be ready to preach truth.